Give me liberty or give me death was the war cry of the revolution. Even before the war, the desire for freedom led colonists to North America and the freedom that was secured and has been preserved at a great price has been the hallmark of our nation ever since. We have even entered into conflicts abroad in the hopes of bringing political freedom to other nations. Sadly, those attempts have often been thwarted by those who, while claiming to want freedom for everyone, only wanted the freedom to force their will on others. And again, sad to say, that has been even true here. Now, freedom is fragile, easily lost, and often misunderstood. But the desire for freedom is universal. With freedom, however, come obligations and responsibilities. And not everyone who is seeking freedom understands where their freedom ends and another's freedom begins. Now, some seem to think that freedom gives them the right to do whatever they want. And the pursuit of freedom gives them the right to burn buildings, break into businesses, go on looting rampages, and storm the capital. So there are obviously inherent dangers on the road to political freedom. But there are inherent dangers in religious freedom as well. And the dangers inherent in religious freedom were of even more concern to Paul than those in political freedom. This concern about religious freedom was not what you might think. It had nothing to do with the constraints the Roman government might put on the church. It was concern about the misuse of our freedom in Christ. He began the fifth chapter of Galatians reminding us that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And he opens our text for today with the words, For you were called to freedom, brethren. But the freedom to which we've been called in Christ is not the freedom to worship as we choose. It's the freedom to come before God. Freedom from the penalty of sin and freedom from the vain attempt to merit salvation. In short, through Christ, we have been freed from sin, from its penalty and its power. However, As Paul also makes very clear, being freed from sin does not mean we are free to sin. Christian freedom is not license to do whatever we want. And this morning we're going to be reminded that we are not free to indulge, free to exploit, or free to disregard. 
Now, in order to draw those points out of our text, we're going to approach it just a little differently than usual. We're going to read our text in its entirety and then go back looking for our points. Our text is Galatians 5, verses 3 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. We begin by noting that in Christ, we are not free to indulge the flesh. We must not turn our freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. The word translated opportunity is a military term, referring to the base of operation or the starting point where a battle begins. So Paul is saying we cannot allow our freedom to become a place where the flesh launches an attack on the spirit. Now, he's going to go on and deal at length with the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, between deeds of the flesh and deeds of the spirit. But for now, he's simply noting that we cannot allow freedom to become an excuse to turn the flesh loose to fulfill its lusts and desires. And when Paul speaks of the flesh here, he's referring to more than just our physical body. He's referring to our fallen human nature, our lower nature, a nature that has some pretty unsavory lusts and desires. Now, ignoring that fact, some insist that freedom demands the removal of all restraints and that they have the right to indulge every whim and desire, or as they said in the 60s, to do their own thing, or if it feels good, do it. Today, that kind of thinking has apparently infected the church, but is expressed a bit differently. According to an article I recently read entitled, America's New Religion, Fake Christianity, many Christians have embraced the belief that the purpose of life is to be happy and that we have no right to pass judgment on anyone if they're just trying to be happy, and that the only sin is getting in the way of someone's doing whatever their truth has convinced them will make them happy. Now, live and let live may be the world's idea of freedom, but it's not God's. He knows better. A horse turned loose in a granary will founder, will eat itself to death. And God knows we'd do the same if all restraints were removed. We would destroy ourselves physically and spiritually. So freedom in Christ is not unrestrained liberty to wallow in selfishness. It is not moral and spiritual anarchy. It's not a pretext for self-indulgence. And we acknowledged that. Before we could experience freedom in Christ, we had to die to self. And as Paul will remind us before the end of this chapter, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and desires. Through Christ, we've gained the ability to control the flesh, to bring it into check, to rein it in. We've been freed from bondage to sin and self, from the addictive need to indulge self for some kind of short-lived satisfaction. And make no mistake, that is all you get with self-centered hedonism, the playboy philosophy of pleasing yourself. Christ did not die to give us unrestrained freedom or to free us to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. In spite of what we see taking place every day, we must not use freedom as a covering for evil. And Peter makes that very clear in his first letter to us. And it's foolish to even try. Now, why seek the fleeting satisfaction of indulging the flesh when Christ offers the lasting satisfaction that comes from having been freed from the bondage of sin and given the power to do that which is right. Christian freedom is not the freedom to indulge ourselves physically or spiritually. So no, we are not free to indulge. Nor are we free to exploit. Paul says we must not turn our freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love we are to serve one another. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. Obviously then, we are not free to exploit our neighbor, to take advantage of a weaker brother and capitalize on his failures and mistakes. Instead, Paul says we are to use our freedom as an opportunity to serve one another, actually to render service as slaves to one another. And because of Christ, we can do that. Our destiny is secure, and since we know where we're going and who's caring for us, we can concentrate on serving others. We don't have to be obsessed with ourselves and our needs. We've got someone else handling those details. So we can give ourselves to others. And why would we do that? Quite simply, because love demands it. Have you ever taken a day off, a day of freedom, to serve someone? Of course you have. Not every free day is spent doing what we want, riding a motorcycle or fishing or shopping. At least some of our free days are spent on honeydew projects or taking the kids or grandkids where they want to go or meeting someone's need. Why do we do those things? Love demands it. We do those things out of love. That's the reason we serve one another rather than exploit one another. In Christ, we've been given the love needed to do those things, to serve one another. We can love our neighbor as ourself because we are loved, because God has poured out his love on us and into us. 
Since we are loved, we are free to invest our love in others. And we're not talking about emotional displays. We're talking about putting love into action in Christ. We are freed from self so we can serve others. Our freedom in Christ doesn't free us from obligations. It deepens our obligations to others. We can't hoard God's love. We must share it. What if we don't? What if we turn God's love inward and use it as an excuse to indulge ourselves at our neighbor's expense? We become like animals, biting and devouring one another. And Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. If, like fighting animals, we bite and devour one another, we may very well end up consuming one another. And how do we bite and devour one another? The Aramaic word for eat the pieces of is often translated criticize. We devour each other through vicious criticism. If we attack each other verbally, we end up consuming each other. If we use our freedom in Christ to say whatever we want or do whatever we want, we will end up destroying each other. We've not been freed to exploit each other's weaknesses like predatory animals. We've been freed to serve each other, to love one another, and in doing so, to fulfill the law. Obviously, therefore, we are not free to disregard the law. Paul reminds us that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The word translated fulfill also means summed up. The whole law is contained in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that doesn't mean love replaces the law. The new morality of the 60s said love superseded the law, that if, you, if, if love demanded it, you could disobey the law. The problem with that is not knowing what will prove to be the most loving thing to do, what the long-term consequences of our actions might be. Only God knows that. He alone knows the long-term consequences of any action and has therefore declared that some things must never be done. Furthermore, since God is love, any law originating from him is an expression of love. And if you love someone, you won't lie to them. You won't covet what they have. You won't steal from them. And since God's law defines love, it cannot be ignored, even by Christians under the new covenant. We don't merit our salvation through the law, but it is still the ethical guide for our behavior. 
Just because we are not under the law doesn't mean we are free to lie, steal, murder, or commit adultery. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. And he enables us to fulfill it and its demands through love. So if we love as he loves, we will do as the law instructs. And we'll do so because love compels us and enables us to do what the law alone could not get us to do. Love changes us. It motivates us. It compels us and enables us to treat our neighbor as Christ has treated us. So yes, the law is fulfilled by love. But that does not mean it's wrong for us to live by the Ten Commandments. We're not earning our salvation through them, but they do serve as a guide for our behavior. They define God's will for us. They define love. They teach us how to relate to one another. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin. It's not freedom to indulge self, to exploit others, or to disregard the law. It's the freedom to come out of bondage to self. It's the freedom to give ourselves to others. And it's the freedom to love others as he loves us. In short, it's the freedom to come out of sin and into him. What more could we want? What more could we want? We invite him to come into our lives. And only then do we find freedom, real freedom. Jesus, I come. If you've not made a commitment to give yourself to him and invite him in, if you've not said, I'm willing to die to self so you can live in me, you need to do that. Or you'll never know the joy of salvation. You'll never find the fullness of life that God intends for you. You'll never be what you can be through him. Jesus, I come. Let's sing that.